hot out there. Glad to be inside with air conditioning. A uh, couple of announcements as we get started. Kids, if you're still in the room, you can head back to your classroom. We've got some of our leaders who are back there who will walk with you. Um, while I'm doing that, p- parents of young, like really young kids, and there's like a million of you, um, we have set this room up over here um, under the scoreboard. So if you want to like score a goal or something, you can go in there. If, if you feel like your kid's being or your baby's being a distraction, just know that they're not. We don't think they're being a distraction. We want you to stay in here. But instead of having to leave, just we set up some chairs in there. Um, I don't know what else is in there. But there's some jazzercise balls if you need to get some ab work in. Um, you can do that in there. So uh, feel free to make use of that. We, we want to serve our families well, and so we don't want you to have to leave if you feel like you're your kid is being disruptive. We love that they're in here and we love the noise that they're making and my kids are a disruption too. So that's all good. There's only one in here today, so that's great. Uh, A couple of announcements as we get started. Family groups are kicking off this week. And so if you're new to the branch, uh, one, let me echo the welcome. My name's Stephen. I work here. Um, And uh, tonight is our family reunion. Once a quarter, we bring all of our family groups together to kind of celebrate all that God is doing. But at the beginning of the semester, it's really the best way to get connected to a family group. So we say we, we care about you doing two things when you're here. One is that you grow in your understanding of the gospel, right? Who God is, who he's revealed himself to be. And two, that you get plugged into biblical community. Family groups are how we do that community piece. And so Sundays are great. We love Sundays. But if this is your only touch point with the branch, we're failing you. We want you to get plugged into community. And so tonight's a good way to do that right here at 530. Um, In this building somewhere, there's been a lot of people sign up. If you can sign up, that would be helpful for us. Um, I don't know how the best way to tell you to do that. Just find somebody and say, hey, I want to sign up for family reunion and come. We'll provide food for you. It's either going to be in this gym or in one of these rooms, depending on how many people come. So be flexible, all right? Uh, Let's see. Uh, Next announcement, family night, which is um, all of our things say family in them, which is kind of cool about who we are as a church. But uh, this is for families with children, okay? Uh, We're going to have a night where we all come together and just have a great time. We're going to have food and an ice cream bar, I think, and games and just a way for our kids to connect with one another uh, and for our parents to connect as uh, we seek to disciple these children. Just so you know, uh, it's our belief that all of us are taking part in the discipleship of our kids. So no pressure or anything, but there's a lot of kids in this church. And so uh, we take that responsibility seriously, but we also want to engage them and connect them and let them enjoy themselves. And so that is uh, September the 10th from 5 to 6.30 right here in this building. Okay. All right, let's jump in. Um, We are in Acts chapter 21. We have a lot to do today. So um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip over to Acts 21. I'm going to set us up with the same introduction that I've given the last couple weeks as a way uh, just to welcome you in. If you are new here to learn a little bit about who we are as a church. So if you've been here the last couple weeks, you could probably come and do this for me and that would be great. Um, But we're going to, we're going to start in Acts 21 and uh, we're going to go through a lot of chapter 22 as well. So um, anyways, it's, uh, it's a big task at hand today, but we're, we're what we're talking about is Paul's imprisonment. So if you've not been here, typically you're going to catch us going verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Okay, that's what we typically do here. We're in like a four-week primer, if you will, getting ready to study Ephesians. And so what we want to do is we want to set up the backdrop of what's actually going on, not just in Ephesus, but what's going on in the church as a whole, specifically with this character named Paul. And so if you haven't been here, you can catch up online the last few weeks. We talked through the ascension of Christ, the birth of the church, 
uh, Paul's conversion, uh, which we'll have to touch on a little bit today, again, to talk about his imprisonment, but we want you to be caught up. We, we believe that to understand our Bible fully, we need to read it in its full context. And so when we're studying Ephesians, we're going to study Acts first, okay? So uh, that's how we're going to do this. So let me kind of walk through this introduction. Again, we're kind of laying out the tenets of who we are as a church, because we understand that moving into a new place, especially if you're a freshman or if you're new in town, at all. You don't have to be a college student, but if you're new in town or you're new to the branch, like finding a church is really hard. And I get it. I really do. I've been a church planter most of my adult life. And uh, once you plant a church and you have to go find another church, it's hard. But even if you're not a church planter, finding new churches and new places is hard because it's a bunch of people. So what I want to do is just kind of lay out who we are, quite humbly, honestly, and just say, this is us and this is all we do. Okay. So uh, I quoted Michael Foster last week. I'm going to do it again because I think it's important for you to hear our heartbeat of why we do what we do and the importance that we place on being a part of the local church. So here's the reality, college students, you could float around for the next four years and no one would know it. You could. Your parents wouldn't know it. We wouldn't know it. You could bounce from this church, go to another church and never really be known by anyone and you have wasted four years. More than likely, if that's you, you're going to be here for six to eight years and that's okay. But we want, we want you to be plugged in, not just because we want our church to grow. We want you to be plugged in because we want you to be known and we want to know you. Okay, we want to walk with you as you walk with Jesus. That's our goal. So listen to what Foster says. He says, nothing grows a Christian like a serious commitment to a single church week in and week out for years and years. Okay, not conferences, not social media, not even personal devotions. The local church is where mature Christians are slowly forged in the fires of mundane faithfulness. And so that's really our prayer for you. So whether that's here at the branch or it's somewhere else, get plugged in. Invest yourself in the life of a body of believers um, because they'll be better for it, and so will you, okay? We believe that here. We're, we are better when you're here, okay? Uh, so four things. This is who we are as a, as a church. The first thing that we do is we're going to preach Christ every single week, okay? Now, most specifically, we're going to preach Christ from the letter Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, okay? Starting next week, that's going to take us all the way to Advent, Okay, so basically the entire fall semester, we're going to study verse by verse, word by word, all of the nitty-gritty of Ephesians. We're going to go through it, okay? Because our promise to you is that we don't want to come in here and dance around fun topics that make us feel good. We want to come in here and dance around the Word of God because we believe that life is found there, okay? So we're going to preach Christ, preach the gospel every single week. The second thing is to live in biblical community. We think that's the most important thing that you can do. You can't live a life with Christ alone, all right, if, if the whole pandemic thing proved anything, it, it's, Christians suffer when they're in a silo. We're not meant to live alone. We're meant to live in community. And so that is our prayer. That's who we want to be. We want to be a church that's going to help you get connected to community. The second is we're going to love other people with compassion. Okay, we're going to exist for those who aren't here yet. And, what, and I clarify this every week because I think every time I hear it, I want you to know, like, we don't mean we exist for the people who aren't at our church yet. We exist for the people who aren't in the kingdom of God yet. Okay? So if we can do something, if we can be a part of something as the local body branch church that's going to give life to someone else, they're going to come and they're going to find Jesus and they go plug into another church, that's okay with us. Okay? We will celebrate that because we are about one kingdom and it's not our kingdom, it's about Jesus Christ's kingdom. Okay? So that's who we are. All right? Let's go to Acts. Let's go to Acts. I want to do uh, one thing before I start reading from Acts uh, 21, and that's to clarify... Um, I've actually never had to do this before, but clarify something I said last week. And I didn't even get an email about it. I was just listening back this week, and I was like, huh, that didn't sound quite right. And so here I am, humbly before you. I'm a normal dude, 
okay? So last week I kind of indicated, didn't flat out say, but I kind of indicated or implied that Paul was beheaded. I mean, Paul was beheaded, that he was stoned to death, okay? Um, my point in saying Paul was stoned and how he was stoned is that he was stoned to the point of death, okay? The Bible doesn't say anything about how Paul died, okay? So we're kind of leaning on historical documents, and a lot of those documents say that Paul was beheaded. So last week I kind of indicated that Paul was stoned to death. The point isn't how Paul died, just to be clear. The the point is that Paul died at the hands of people who hated the gospel. He died for the gospel. He died that Jesus Christ may be known by us. And so we have a lot to be thankful for. So I say that to say this. Uh, Sometimes we're going to stand up here and we're going to, our mouths will outpace our brain. Happens to me a lot. Okay. Uh, And when we get get into error, and again, this isn't a theological error, we're going to be the first to confess it. Okay. So just know that. So Paul wasn't, he was stoned, but I believe that he was beheaded. Okay, uh, in Rome. And that's important because where we're going today to talk about the imprisonment of Paul. All good there? You still love me? Are we good? I'm really sorry. Okay, Acts 20, I'm going to start reading from uh, 22 uh, through 24, and then we're going to jump into 21, which is our text for today. Paul's writing, and he's setting up what's about to happen. Okay, so Paul's been converted. He's been a zealous, uh, he's been one who's zealous against the gospel, and now he's uh, zealous for the gospel. Okay, you talk about a full 180. This is a guy who's killing Christians. Now he's the Christian of Christians. Okay, he is spending his entire life being stoned and all to the point that people would know Jesus. And listen to what he writes in Acts 20. Okay, this is before our text today, but go there if you want. It's just a page before where, we'll, where we're going to be. He says, Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Can you imagine even writing these words? Like, I don't, I'm going to go to a place, I don't know what's going to happen to me. Like, I would imagine he's not, like, he's pretty confident in what God's called him to do, but this is a normal human. He's writing this, and I'm sure there's fear in his heart, in his gut, right? Verse 23 He says, I don't know what's going to happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And yet the dude's still traveling. Right? If I get a word, I think, okay, I'm going to go to this place, and then I'm going to wind up in jail. Like, I'm probably not going to go to the place. It's just me. I'm a pastor. Okay? I don't want to go to prison. Do you? I mean, it's all right, guys. You You can say, no, I don't want to go to jail. Of course you don't want to go to jail. Nobody wants to go to jail. But listen to verse 24. He says, but I do not account my life of any value. Zero value. We read from Philippians chapter 3 last week where he says, I count it all loss. He said rubbish, right? All things are rubbish compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. So I don't account my life of any value, nor, a precious, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I want to have this kind of faith. I really do. And I want this kind of faith for you. This is why we study the Bible the way that we study. This is why studying Ephesians the way that we're going to. And knowing who Paul is and what he's about is important. Because if he can live his life like this, what an example to us to live our life in the world, in the culture that we live in. Now, we're not going to necessarily face imprisonment for the gospel. This is just, let me just talk to you about where we are in the, in the world. You know, one of the things I keep hearing from, like, Christians all over the country, and pastors in particular, is like, what's going to happen when we lose our tax status? Well, that's not really persecution, guys. I mean, I, oh, 
You don't get a tax exemption on your generosity to the church. I know that's coming hard. I don't mean that to be hard. But like, if we think that's persecution, just read Paul's story. Flogged, stoned, ultimately beheaded, imprisoned, literally chained to another man. I'd rather be beheaded. Okay? Chained to another man. And he's still writing these letters to the churches to be fruitful, to be profitable, because he believed in the gospel. And we live in a country where right now there's no one about to barge through the door to arrest us because we're preaching from a Bible. It's not going to happen. It's 11.30 or 10.36, okay? It's no one's coming through the door. Not today. But if they do, how will we respond? How will we respond? That's why we study the Bible the way that we study it. Why do we want to know about Paul's imprisonment? Not just so that we can understand Ephesians, but because that we can have a more robust faith that if the world, if culture changes, will we still be a body of people who gathers together to preach and proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ? That's the kind of church I want to be. So what, would I go to preach? Yeah, I probably would. I'm that foolish, but I believe the gospel that much. I'd rather be there than stand up here and give you filth, rubbish, feel-good stuff that I, could, I can piece together a Bible that makes me feel better, makes you feel better. I can make you feel really bad about yourself, and I can make you feel really good about yourself. It's not because there's anything special about me. That's sin. And so what we want to do is we want to preach the gospel week after week, and we're going to lean on what's going on with Paul. So Acts 21, how do you like that intro? All right. Acts 21, verse 27. I'm going to read down through verse 36, okay? So we're going to take this in chunks, and, uh, and we'll pause after each break and, and kind of stir up the pot a little bit. All right, so Paul is arrested in the temple here. Acts 21, verse 27. This is the word of the Lord. It says, when the seven days were almost completed, and so just so you know what the seven days were, Paul was going through like a ritual, okay, uh, to be cleansed. Uh, Paul was a Jew born in a Roman province, okay? So he was kind of got to play in both fields a little bit. So that's going to come into play here again in just a minute. So when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. So this is what Paul is being charged with. He's going against the church people, the religious elites, and the law, okay? Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. Verse 31, as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Verse 33, when the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains, he inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. 
And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. If you don't have a Bible, I meant to tell you this before I started reading. We've got one on the ends of each row. Just pass it down. If somebody's like doing one of these things, just give them a Bible so they can follow along, okay? I want you to see these words. Um, So what's going on here? Paul's being attacked in the temple by a mob. The, the attack is being sparked by this false accusation that uh, Paul had let Trophimus come into the temple, which would have been a huge no-no. You know who knew it was a no-no? Paul did. Like he knew that a Gentile wasn't allowed to go into the temple. So the temple would have had multiple courts. The Gentiles could go into the outermost court. They weren't allowed to the innermost court. If they went into the temple, they were going to die. Okay? So this was, a, this was a pretty serious charge. Like, the, the punishment is execution immediately. Like, we don't need a trial. We're just going to kill you because that person can't be in here. Do you understand how wicked this is? The temple is the place of God. Okay? It is designed to be a place where, where sacrificer, sacrifices are being offered up. There's to be worship offered up. And you know what they're doing? They're spending time studying the Word of God. And yet these fools have prevented God's people, because you know what? The Bible says that all have been created in the image of God. Everyone, all of us, okay? And yet we're in a, we're in a society, we're in a culture where we said, you know what? There's us and there's them, and them aren't allowed in here. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Okay? So what happens is Trophimus is accused of coming in with Paul, and they go after him. They begin to beat him. Thank God the Romans come and save Paul. If they hadn't, if the Romans, the centurions and the soldiers hadn't come, they'd have, they'd have beat Paul to death. But they didn't. The Roman soldiers come in and they say, hey, you, what are you doing? Because Paul's a Roman citizen. Why are you beating him? But the problem here is, is not that they're beating him, but it's why they're beating him, right? That's got to be the problem. So what is the Jewish, what, are, what is their problem? The problem is that they have a hardness in their heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's going on. Ultimately, Paul, who was the threat to the Christian church, is now the threat to the religious elite. This is like the most royal toe-stepping of all time. Okay? He comes in and he, you know, he writes a letter to the high priest. This is what we are talking about last week. He writes a letter to the high priest and says, hey, I want to go into Jerusalem and I want to kill all the Christians. Right? I want to go into Damascus. I'm going to kill the Christians there, and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to march into Jerusalem, and I'm going to kill all the Christians there. But when he gets there, he's been converted, and now he's a follower of the way. So instead of killing them, he's preaching it. He's proclaiming it, okay? It's got to be pretty awkward for the people who are Christians in the place. Like, hey, wait, hold on. We know about you, but now you're saying you're on our side? Prove it. That's what I'm asking him to do. Prove it. What you got in your pockets, Paul? right? And Paul's going and he's doing the work of God. But what's happening in the temple is that chaos is everywhere. Chaos is ensuing the crowd. They had to shut the gate, which is, they don't do that very often to keep the uproar from happening. Uh, President Bush said this one time, I've had the privilege to be in a couple rooms where I've heard him speak and this is in no way a political statement. So don't, I just liked what he said. Okay. All right. He said this, he said, too often we judge other groups by their worst examples while judging ourselves by our best intentions. 
That's what's happening in Jerusalem. That's what's happening in the temple. Is the religious elite were assuming something about Paul because they were fearful. They were scared. And so they begin to judge Paul by their best intentions. Like they were in the temple perfectly. Like I want to see, a, I want to see the, the agenda of the sacrifices on the day where they arrested Paul. Like had they done it all exactly right? Was the blood spilled exactly in the right spot at the same time? The right amount? Was it too much? A drop too much? A drop too little? Right? Because ultimately this is what they're doing. They're saying Paul is not exactly perfect and so he's not measuring up to the law. And so we got to kill him. All right, I hope you track in here because ultimately what we find in the gospel is freedom from that mess. Okay? We have freedom from that. It's no more religious elite. There's no more legalism. There's no more, if you do this, God will do that for you. God doesn't save us because of our good behavior. Praise God for that. I still be wallowing in my sin. I was still wallowing in my sin, but I'm forgiven, set free. The consequence is rid. This is the beauty. This is the truth of the gospel. Let's keep going. We're, we're running out of time. Chapter 22, or verse 37, chapter 21, sorry. He says this to the people. Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, and he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And then they said, do you know Greek? Okay, so track what's happening here, okay? So what language? Greek. Way to go. Glad you're here. Hello. Do you know Greek? And then they continue. Listen to how they continue. Are you not the Egyptian, then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? So those, that group of people, this is pretty gnarly. Uh, what they would do, these assassins, would, would walk into big crowds. So like, just imagine the hallway um, out here before church when the doors were shut and there's like all of you were out there and there was one of you in the room who had a knife and would just walk around and stab people. Like that's how they would roll. So they would walk through a crowd and they would just, okay? So that's who they thought Paul was, that he was the guy coming into the crowd. And he kind of is, right? He's the guy who comes into the crowd and not with a physical knife, but with a knife of the gospel and changes everything, Okay? So they thought he was this guy who's coming around killing people in crowds. Like, can, it's pretty scary stuff, okay? It's a massive accusation. Verse 39, Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Okay? Verse 40, when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in Hebrew. In Hebrew. What is Hebrew to the Jewish people? Is it their learned language or their original language? It's their heart language. It's what they grew up speaking. You go into a Jewish household, they're not speaking Greek, they're speaking Hebrew. But the tribune's concerned that can Paul speak Greek? And you know, he's like, Yeah, I can speak Greek and I can speak Spanish and I can speak Hebrew. I can speak English. Don't you haven't heard of it yet, but I can speak that too. Like Paul's very smart guy. Okay? So can you speak Greek? Yes, we're good. Okay, you can speak to the people. And then the first thing he says to them, do you understand Hebrew? Like, I don't know if you've, if you've ever been around the world on mission trips or, or just been around the world or go to a context or a culture where the language is different. It's something entirely different to go and have someone translate what you said than if you can speak to them directly. I feel that way in my life. If I go somewhere, even if I'm overseas, and someone speaks to me in English, I feel like they cared about me, even if they don't. Right? It's something about our native language that's important. It sparks relationship. It sparks camaraderie. It sparks almost a brotherhood. 
And so he speaks to them in Hebrew. And this is significant. Listen to what he says. The first words out of his mouth, brothers. These are the people who just wanted to kill him. Brothers, fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. I bet they did. And he said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are on this day. He's propping them up. Verse 4, I persecuted this way, the way of Jesus, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As the high priests and the whole council of elders can bear me witness, from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. What Paul is experiencing currently is exactly what he had intended for God's people. Verse 6, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand in the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise. Go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hands of those who were with me and came into Damascus. Verse 12, one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Listen to these words. Call to action. Rise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. Verse 17, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Why is that? Why is that? Because all of a sudden, Paul is preaching a gospel that throws their religious context upside down. They have grown up for centuries from basically Exodus on. If you're new to the branch, we just finished a year and a half studying Exodus. It was great. He takes their religious culture and he says, you've created something that's just for us. But Jesus has come and he's now said it's for everyone. Even those people. The ones who we don't invite to church the ones who we don't allow to sit at our table, the ones who we don't let hang out with our children, the ones who scare us, the ones who make us clinch up, the ones who we're fearful of, those people are now accepted into the kingdom of God because Jesus has come and if they believe in him and confess that he is Lord and are baptized, 
they are part of now a bigger family than your little family that's concerned nothing about sacrifices and religious law. Praise God. But do we do that? We absolutely still do that. We absolutely still do that. I was, um, some of you have heard this story before, uh, but there's, some of you are, have never been here before, so I'm going to tell it again, okay? Uh, I worked at a church in Texas. So my family planted a church in Texas like 10 years ago. So this was before that, okay? This didn't happen at the church that we planted. This was before that. Um, there was a girl, so I led ministry at SMU. Not a very Christian campus, just for the record, okay? Tough place, hard place to do ministry. You talk about like social elites, like these people are PJing into school on Monday, spending the week in Dallas, and then PJing home wherever in the world that they live, okay? Like it's a weird place. It's a really difficult place for ministry. Uh, PJ is a private jet, okay, if you didn't know. Well, I know, we all live in Delonica, like we don't know what a PJ is, man. <laughs> Roll Tide. So anyways, we, there was this girl, um, and she came from a very wealthy family, but she was, I mean, she was broken, like broken. Every week, she would come into our ministry on campus, and uh, she wasn't a believer, but she just, she knew that her life, there was something missing, like she needed more. You know, she was really smart, she was very affluent, she was like everything that everybody wants to be. Everything that the world says you should be, like this girl was it. But she didn't know who Jesus was, and she was suffering, and she was really, really struggling. And church isn't the answer. Just know that. Church isn't the, the gospel is the answer. And a church that preaches the gospel can be a safe place for people like that, but there are some churches that aren't safe places. And the church that we brought her to wasn't a safe place. And so she finally, like, comes after, like, week after week. We're inviting her, like, hey, why don't you come to church with us? Like, it'd be, it'd be something special to sit in a row just like you guys. We had pews, though, um, com- more comfortable seating, okay? And um, we're sitting there, and a lady comes in and taps Kelsey on the back and says, hey, you're in my seat. Holy smokes. Like, I've thought about strangling people in church before, but, like, I was really, really close. And then made a comment about the shirt that she had on. It wasn't appropriate. And she never came back. She never came back. Like, that's what's happening in the temple. So let's don't be fooled. Like, hey, we've got Jesus. We've got the gospel. We don't do that anymore. Now, if that happens here, I will strangle you. So just know that. Okay? And there'll probably be other people who will jump in and strangle you too. So good luck getting out of that. All right? But I was devastated. Not just as a pastor, like I was responsible for bringing, but like this girl came to know Jesus. Praise God, like somehow. God does miracles. But this is a sister. And she's treated in the house of God like a pagan. Like someone who doesn't belong here. Someone who's not allowed to have a seat at our table. That's garbage. That's what's happening in the culture of Jerusalem. And so Paul's speaking out, and he's going hard, all while being chained to someone else. Let's keep going. Where did we leave off? <laughs> I'm just joking. When I'd returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. 
So there's a few things for us to note about Paul's address, okay? The first thing I want us to know is his respect that he has for these people who are persecuting him. He immediately calls them brothers. He's tender, he's pastoral, he's caring. The second is that before he trusted Christ, he was no different than men and he hadn't forgotten it. He was the guy pushing the button on persecuting and murdering Christians. He hadn't forgotten it. The third thing is that God intervened in his life and saved him. Like, let's don't forget that. Paul wasn't better than you and I, okay? He was being used by God in a very unique way. But the work of Paul is really an example of the work of Christ. It has nothing to do with Paul. Paul was just the agent. Does that make sense? So before you come in here, like, I don't think God could ever use me. Like, you don't know what I did back in high school, or you don't know what I did in college, or you don't know what I'm doing now. Like, just read this again. Read Paul's story again and again and again. God uses people like Paul. God uses people like me for his good and the spread of the gospel. All right, verse 22, and we're going to wrap this thing up. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging. Flogging was when um, they would whip you with a whip that had like glass or clay or sharp stuff so that the whip, the whipping wasn't the bad part. It was when they pulled the whip off of your back is where they did the damage, okay? So the, that's what a flogging is, just to paint the picture. This was brutal. To find out why they were shouting against him like this, verse 25, but when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned. When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. Verse 28, the tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. But Paul said, I'm a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had been bound to him. So here, here we have this, I mean, Paul's last-ditch effort, right? He knows he's in trouble, okay? Things are not looking good for Paul. And so what does he say? Whoa, 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 Now he's playing the Roman law, right? This is like his, hey, it's the last chance I got to survive this thing. He says, would you flog a Roman citizen without first being tried? And then they stopped. And in that moment, Paul's life is spared. Again. So God has determined to use Paul, yes, but he's also provided a way for Paul to stay alive. Every place he goes, the provisions for Paul are taken care of by God himself. So what's the big takeaway? The big takeaway is that God's always working, always, even when we don't think he's working. So maybe you're in the room today and you're like, I'm just going to go try this new church because they meet in a gym. That seems pretty cool. God's working. He's working. He's doing things that we have no idea. In the midst of half-truths, like what's happening in Jerusalem, God's working. In the midst of lies and persecution, God's working through the faithful preaching of the gospel. God's working. This is all the things that we're seeing in Paul. In the hands of government officials, God is working. In the midst of your astronomy class, God's working. In the midst of your new job, 
God's working. In the midst of the news that you just got from the doctor, God is working. This is the power of the gospel. There is nothing in this world that will keep the gospel from going to the ends of the earth. Not me and not you. We can't get in the way. So find freedom there. We're agents to be used by God. But the scandal of the gospel is that those who are far off are now brought near. The ones who appear to be irreligious are beloved. So let's don't forget that. Like as our little church becomes not so little church, like this is the thing I pray for the most. Like I never want to be a church like the church Kelsey had to walk into. So can we covenant together? Like as we study Ephesians, as we learn about God's word, can we just say like, you know what? We want to be a place for people who aren't here yet. And we want to welcome them in, even if they're those people who aren't like us. Because if we can do that, we're going to look more like the kingdom of God than the kingdom of earth. And that's going to be a good and right and holy thing. And I'm going to be the cheerleader up in the front just being like, yay. I will do a kick thing off this massive stage that I'm standing on. Okay? Hope to not fall. God is always working. Listen to Acts 28. And then I'm going to close this sentence to communion. Acts 28, verse 28. Listen to this. He says, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. They will listen. Verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. We are to be a people who are welcoming and proclaiming. That's what we're going to do. We're going to open those doors as long as we have a key, and we're going to welcome and proclaim. That's the kind of people we want to be. And as we begin to study Ephesians, the important thing for us to remember is that's who Paul was. And every letter he writes from prison, he's writing with that heartbeat. And so let's not, not forget that. Here at the branch, we close our services in a time of reflection and remembrance. Every week, we go to the table. And the tables are off to the side uh, for communion. So the bread is torn, and we just take a piece and dip it in the cup. And so all that we ask is that if you're following after Jesus, the table's open to you. You don't have to be a member of our church. If you're not a Christian, we just ask that you stay in your seat or come talk to one of our pastors. We'll be in the back. We'll be after the service. We'll be in the Next Steps room to meet you, to welcome you in. But if you have questions or if you want to pray, some of our elders and staff are going to be in the back, and we want to do that with you here this morning. And so let's go to the table in humility and gratitude for all that God has done because God is working. He has promised to do so, and he is doing it indeed. Let's pray. Father, we are very thankful to have a time and a place where we can gather together and to worship you, uh, to sing praises to your name, to study your character, your goodness and grace that's extended to us through Jesus. And so we want to be a people uh, that Paul is trying to develop as he goes and on to his missionary journeys and he writes letters to the church in Ephesus. God, we, we want to be a people who receives that well. We want to pe- be a people who are welcoming and proclaiming, people who love those with compassion who aren't here yet. And so would you continue to stir up in us an affection uh, for you and for your word? I'm thankful for all of uh, those in the room this morning, those who've been here forever and those who are new. God, we just pray that we would be a people um, who exists for your glory and for the good of others. 
And so we love you. We pray these things in the beautiful, powerful, worthy name of Jesus. Amen.